Turn with me in your Bible tonight to the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 2. Perhaps we could read from Jonah 1 verse 17, right down to Jonah chapter 2 verse 10. The book of Jonah, and we're going to read from verse 17 of chapter 1. You find the place, let's hear the word of the Lord. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep. In the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about, all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about, the weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottom of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. And we trust and pray that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text tonight is taken from Jonah chapter 2 and the verse 9. In fact, it's the last part of verse 9. It's the five words, salvation is of the Lord. And my theme tonight is entitled, The Lord's Salvation Taught in a Strange Place. Now, Jonah 2 and 9, of course, is a well-known verse. A verse that's found often in the lips of the people of God, not only in prayer, but even in preaching. It's a familiar memory verse. It's a text that adorns the pulpit wall of some of our churches and many other fundamental and Bible-believing churches. And people who come in and sit in the pew and look at it can understand, in a sense, uh, what is being taught uh, even through these words. In fact, these words, salvation is of the Lord, are probably some of the best known in regards to the whole book of Jonah. Um, now, every book in the Bible, we believe, is a key text, one that can stand as a, a summary explanation of the whole book. Uh, for example, think of Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. That would really be a summary text for the whole book of Romans. That's known as Martin Luther's text. Think of Acts 8, 
or Acts 1 verse 8 as a summary text for the whole book of the Acts of the Apostles or maybe it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. But you see, I believe tonight that Jonah 2 and 9 stands as a key text for the whole book of Jonah. See, the book of Jonah is about a loving, just, holy, good God taking steps to stop his runaway, rebellious prophet from going against his will. It's about a loving, holy, and just God taking steps to restore that self-same runaway prophet and recommissioning him to do his bidding. Remember, it was God who called Jonah to be a prophet and told him to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was 500 miles away from Jonah's home. He was told to go to Nineveh and cry against it, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. Now, Jonah, of course, willfully disobeyed this command, and instead he fled to the port of Joppa on the west coast of Israel. He found a ship going to Tarshish. Tarshish is in northern Spain. He paid the fare. He got on board. He went down to his cabin, and he fell fast asleep. And because of Jonah's sin and rebellion to God, we read this in chapter 1, verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea. This huge mega storm threatened the life of the ship and the life of the sailors. They were petrified. They tried to row hard. They even cast off some of the cargo, but all of it was to no avail. They then cast lots to see why this storm had been sent uh, and through whom. We we read in the scriptures that the lot fell on Jonah. Uh, Jonah then confessed all to the sailors. Uh, he, He told them, I'm in Hebrew. And I fear the Lord God of heaven, which made sea and the dry land. And I am really fleeing from the presence of the Lord. I have disobeyed him. I refused to uh, do his will and go and preach in Nineveh. Jonah then told them that the only way to save the ship and to save themselves was to throw him literally overboard into the sea. And despite great reluctance and great fear, that's what they did. And immediately Jonah hit the water, the storm ceased. Immediately there was a calm on the sea. Now now think of Jonah sinking into the sea. He he, he is drowning. Uh, Think of the the, uh, waves enveloping him. Uh, Think of the seaweed wrapping itself around about his head. And as Jonah sinks into the sea, the Bible tells us, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. We're told he was there three days and three nights. That's important. And according to chapter 2, verse 1, we learn that Jonah prayed unto the Lord as God out of the fish's belly. In chapter 1, Jonah is prayerless, but now we're told he is praying. And where is he praying? He's praying in the whale's belly. And in that whale's belly as he prays, he's been honest with God. And he starts quoting many of the Psalms in uh, the um, prayer that he offers. One can only imagine the thoughts going through Jonah's mind. Think of him sinking below the waves. 
He knows that he's drowning. Seaweed as I've said about his head. Everything is black for a moment. He, he, there is a sense of motion uh, going on. Uh, he he's, feels that he's been swallowed up and, and carried along. He regains a degree of consciousness. He feels the lining of the whale's belly. He is irritated by the acidic stomach acid of the wheel bleaching his skin. He's aware of a foul smell. And yet somehow he realizes in that moment that the fish is not the means of his destruction, but the means of his deliverance. So he offers this prayer of thanksgiving for deliverance unto God. And that's what the prayer is all about. Verses 2 right through to 9 were prayed from the belly of the fish. And they were prayed in thankfulness to God. Notice what he says in verse 9. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Notice how the prayer ends. Salvation is of the Lord. Five words. A great truth taught to Jonah in a very strange place. And what was the great truth? That salvation is of the Lord. Now, what do the words mean? What did Jonah mean by them when he expressed them to the Lord in prayer? When he uttered them unto the Lord as God, what was he thinking about? Let me suggest tonight just a couple of things. And I'm no way seeking to be clever. I'm not in any way seeking to be exhaustive of these words. Salvation is of the Lord. What did he mean? Did he not mean the Lord's plan of salvation? You see, the doctrine of salvation is a great subject. In fact, I believe it's one of the the greatest subjects in all of the Bible. And now these words were more than just about deliverance from a situation. Jonah, remember, was suffering chastisement. That's why he was in the belly of the wheel at the bottom of the ocean. God was dealing with him. The Bible tells us now the Lord had prepared a great fish to uh, swallow up Jonah. Uh, Why? Because Jonah was in sin and rebellion and disobedience to the Lord. And and, uh, here is a, a right and proper focus on deliverance from this situation. Jonah, as I've said, was thankful for his deliverance. Uh, deliverance from a near-death experience. Jonah's spiritual resurrection and spiritual restoration is but a, a, a small part, but a great part of God's plan of salvation for Jonah. The word for salvation can literally mean and does mean deliverance. And Jonah, first of all, has to be thinking of deliverance from this strange trial due to him because of his sin and rebellion to God. Think of Jonah now in the whale's belly. He has no light. He's in darkness. He has no comfort. Think of the acidic stomach acid bleaching his skin. He's cut off from family and friends. He has no freedom. He has no hope of deliverance or help apart from the grace and goodness of God. And isn't it true 
that Jonah's situation, his set of circumstances, can be mimicked by many of God's dear people. Many of God's dear people tonight in their life have experienced trials, personal hardships, tears. And oftentimes those trials, not in every case, but in some cases, are are, are linked to chastisement due to sin. Due to waywardness, due to worldliness. And, and in that circumstance, they're cut off from light. They're without comfort. They, they have few uh, friends or family that they can turn to. They, they feel in themselves there's no hope of deliverance. And maybe that's your situation and your circumstance right now. Maybe it's a time of sorrow. Maybe it's a time of sickness, a, a time of the strange ways and dealings with God. And what I'm saying tonight is, like Jonah, you can experience deliverance from every trial and every period of trouble. Why? Because the Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble and knoweth them that trusteth in him. And Jonah in his backslidden state was, was turning back to the Lord. He was a backslidden man, disobedient, running from God. And, and now he's, he's calling again on the God who had saved him uh, 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 to restore him. I believe tonight the Lord is able to help you gain deliverance in the midst of all your trials. Even in trials where you've fallen into a state of sin and rebellion. Jonah, as I've said, was in a backslidden state. Think of him in rebellion to the mind and will of God. Think of him gravitating to sin. And the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible tells us the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So in its immediate context, when Jonah said salvation is of the Lord, he's thinking about the Lord's plan of salvation in that he's been given deliverance from that situation and circumstance of backsliding. But I believe there's more to it than that. I'm also thinking about deliverance from sin itself. Can I tell you tonight that no man has a part in the planning of God's great plan of salvation and redemption. Salvation from beginning to end starts with God and ends with God. The gospel begins with God. It's God's good news. That's why it's called the gospel of God. Salvation is of the Lord. It's all of God. It's from him. He is the author. It originated with him. In other words, no human being, not even the greatest scholar in the top universities of the world, had a part in this plan of salvation. It's not of man. No preacher was involved. No human organization or institution like the church is responsible even for a tiny small part of salvation. It's not of man. It doesn't involve the religious leaders. It doesn't involve any church. It's not about rites and ceremonies. It's not about ritual. If you turn in your Bible there to the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, we will read together there uh, a tremendous verse in the um, verses uh, 3 and 4 of Ephesians chapter 1. Listen to what Paul says in 
Verse 4 in particular, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And, and I asked, when did God's plan for deliverance from sin begin? It began in eternity past. In eternity past, God planned the plan of salvation. God from all eternity had a plan. There never was a time when God didn't have a plan. And that plan centered in the fact that Christ would come into the world and accomplish and fulfill the plan. Remember he said in the tree, John 19 and 30, it is finished. Not I am finished, it is finished. The work that God the Father had given him to do. In the book of Revelation, we read about those whose names are written in the uh, book of the life of the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. Now, I want to emphasize that tonight. Why? Because some teach that the cross of Christ and his death in Calvary was a mistake. Some tell us that it was an afterthought of God. Some tell us that God was forced to do this because the Jews rejected Jesus as the Messiah, as the King, and God had to have a secondary plan in place. Well, well, that's utter rubbish. That, that's a lie from the devil. That's not the teaching of the Bible. I, I totally reject that scheme of salvation preached by dispensationalists that, that, that tell us that the cross was an afterthought. That that's a serious error. There's not seven periods of time divided up in the Bible and each period of time have a different way to be saved in each. No, the Bible teaches before men existed, before the foundation of the world, God had a plan, God had a purpose. It's called the purpose of all ages. And um, the, the Bible tells us according to the eternal purpose which he proposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, Ephesians 3 and 11. There never was a time when God didn't have a plan. And it's nothing to do with man. There was not one man involved in that planning. There was not one man involved in the production of salvation. Not one man involved in the provision of salvation. If I ask tonight, do you want to be assured to go to heaven? Like David, did you want to be able to say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Do, do you want to know the way of salvation? Jesus, remember, said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. God's plan centers in the person and work of his Son. God the Father's the author. God the Son came and accomplished that by his death in Mount Calvary. And the Spirit of God come and applies that through the new birth. Is it any wonder Solomon said, There's a way which seemeth right unto men, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. So when Jonah said, Salvation is of the Lord, he was thinking about the Lord's plan, not only for his life, but he was thinking about the Lord's plan for his life from all eternity. I want you to think of something else. I believe Jonah was also thinking about the Lord's purchase of salvation. Remember the Bible teaches in Ephesians 1 verse 7. 
Colossians 1 and verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And the word redemption, as you know, means to redeem. It means to buy back. How? Via a purchase price being paid. And who pays the purchase price? Who can pay it? Think of these words. Salvation is of the Lord. You see, salvation's not cheap. Salvation's not free. The cost is bound up in the cross work of Christ. Let me tell you a little story. I want you to think of a wealthy lady. She lives in a big house. She's sick for a number of years. There's a nurse. She lives with her full time. She's looking after. And the nurse and her pray together, read the Bible together, sing praise together. And the dear wealthy lady eventually uh, passes away. And the nurse, of course, is out of a job. Um, the, the will is read and uh, the wealthy lady has left all to her family. It's divided up among the children. The, the big house is to be sold. And um, in the will, she, she left the nurse a, a wooden cross. And that wooden cross hung above the bed. And um, it didn't seem much. But, but she told the family and the friends, well, I, I'll cherish it. I'll always remember the times that we had of fellowship in prayer and around the word of God and I, I love and cherish this little wooden cross it, it, it's enough for me so some of the family took it down and they wrapped it carefully and they gave it to the nurse and she took it home and a couple of weeks later she decided well you know what I'm going to put it up above my bed it remind me of the old lady that I nursed and uh, as she was hanging it, her, her finger touched a, a small clasp that had never been seen. She had barely noticed it before. And to her surprise, out tumbled a little note. And also a mass of diamonds. And it turned out that those diamonds were more valuable than the entire estate that was left to the family. And this is what the note said. Always remember the cross is worth more than anything else. Is it any wonder that Paul could say in the book of Ephesians, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Let me tell you another little story, a true story. I want you to think of a, a Russian bookkeeper. He's involved in the court of Nicholas II, who's the Tsar of Russia at that time. He was an ungodly man. He gambled a lot. And uh, because of his gambling habits, he, he borrowed money out of the Tsar's treasury. Uh, it, it amassed to a great amount of money. And soon he got out of his depth and he, he couldn't pay the money back. And uh, the yearly review was coming up and uh, the books had to be inspected. And he owed a huge debt and was running into thousands of Russian pounds and he got the ledgers out and he went through it and he totaled the amount and he wrote at the bottom, realizing this is a debt I can't pay. Who can pay such a large debt? And he decided that night in the accounting room, I'm going to take my own life before the morning. 
So he sat at the fire, he got some Russian vodka, he was getting Dutch courage, he got out a gun, and uh, he, he thought, I'm, I'm going to take my own life. Well, he fell asleep. He woke in the morning, the gun was gone. And he went over to the table where the ledgers were sitting. They were still opened. The pen was there. And as he looked, he discovered something. And it was this. The Tsar Nicholas II had arrived at the palace. Unknown to the bookkeeper, he was coming. He seen the light on in the accounting room. He thought it was strange. He thought it was strange that the door was open. And he found the, the count asleep. He went over to the ledger and he, he looked around and he, and he saw these words it, 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 it underlined. Um, who could pay such a large debt? And he picked up the pen and this is what he wrote. I can and I will. And when the count got up in the morning, those are the words that he read. I can I will, signed by Tsar Nicholas II. When you think of salvation, it's neither cheap nor free because it costs God everything. God sent and gave his only begotten son. And on the cross, the Lord Jesus shed his precious blood. And by the shedding of his precious blood, then that debt, not a financial debt or material debt, but that spiritual debt of sin that's owed to God was paid in full. Then he wondered the hymn writer said, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. His blood cleansed it white as snow. When Jonah said salvation is of the Lord, I believe he was also thinking of the Lord's power of salvation. You see, there's only one to deliver from the uh, penalty of sin, its power, its pleasure, and one day from the very presence of sin, and that's the Lord himself. It's not of man's own willpower. It's not of man's strength and ability. It's not of a bishop or a preacher or the rites and ceremonies of a church. Remember what old John the Apostle says there in John chapter 1 and in the verse 12. He, he said this, But as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, it's not of the will of the flesh. It's not of the will of man. It's not by physical strength or power. It's off the Lord. In other words, it's not by Lord man's might, man's physical ability. It's not something that can be bought, something that can be bestowed. You asked yourself tonight, as you think about the time and the moment when you called in the Lord, when the time and moment you cried out, God, be merciful to me, the sinner, where you recognized your sin for what it was and you repented of it and you trusted Christ. You see, where did that desire come from? To, to call, to come, to, to recognize your sin, to repent of it, to trust Christ. It wasn't of your own self. It wasn't of your own power or ability. You see, unless the Lord works, unless we're born again of the Holy Spirit, unless the Spirit comes and applies salvation, 
we'll realize and recognize that there never can be a spiritual desire, a, a spiritual thought after God, a, 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 a spiritual recognition of uh, sin for what it is, hating and loathing it and, 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 and turning from it. There'll never be any desire and thought, well, I need to get saved and need to get right with God. And if there is that desire, if there is that desire to call and to come and to recognize and repent of sin and trust Christ, well, that's because God is at work. God is calling. God is seeking. God is convicting you. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. The Bible says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. You see, there is a day of salvation. And you're not going to see it when you want. You'll get saved when God calls. When God's at work. When the Holy Spirit is drawing you. Why? Because you're a sinner who's dead in trespasses and sin. Doesn't the Bible say, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Sinners are darkened before God. That, that, that is, there's no understanding. There's no light. Sinners are diseased in all their affections and their emotions. There's none to desire God. None that doeth good. None that wants to get right with God. Certainly not in their own strength and power. Why? Because salvation is of the Lord. And it's only when the Lord works by his mighty power on your heart and life that you can have that desire or thought or longing for him. You think tonight of people who are drunkards and gamblers and people who are dancers and lovers of music and pleasure. And um, people imagine, you know, I could never get saved because I, I couldn't give up those things. And that's exactly right. We didn't give up those things. The desire for those things were taken away. Why? Because if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. When Jonah said salvation is of the Lord, I believe he was thinking about the Lord's peace of salvation. Jonah was making his peace with God. Jonah wanted to enjoy the safety and the certainty and the enjoyment of the Lord. That's why he said very clearly in the text, um, in the prayer, yet will I look again toward thy holy temple. He was thinking of being in a right relationship and being in fellowship with God. He had lost the joy of salvation. He had lost the peace of God because of his sin and because of his backsliding. He also thought about the Lord's purpose of salvation. Who gets the honor and glory in salvation? Does it not all the honor and glory go to the Lord? Is the pride of man not leveled in the dust? Remember God says, my glory I will not give to another. God is jealous. Perfectly jealous, wholly jealous. For his day, for his name, for, for his son, for, for his cause. Here's the Lord's purpose. In salvation, he is glorified. It's all of God. It starts with him. It's all of him from start to finish. And the fact that we're kept by the power of God. No, we don't keep ourselves. We're kept by the power of God, uh, Peter says, unto salvation. We could also think about the Lord's perfection and salvation. The Bible talks about not only the fact that our souls are saved, but the redemption of our body. One day we'll have a new body. 
One day, uh, our bodies will be changed. The Bible talks about these vile bodies being unchanged. One day, we'll be with Christ. We'll see Christ. We'll be like Christ for all eternity. And it's all tied into this particular concept of salvation. Not only deliverance from the time of backsliding that, that brought him down into the whale's belly, but, but the whole gambit of God's salvation. And I trust tonight that these few words, five words, when we think about the book of Jonah, we'll remember that this is the key text. And as we think about it, it'll open up a little bit that the Lord has a plan. The Lord from all eternity made a purchase. The Lord can, by his mighty power, change this man, this woman. The Lord can restore this backslider. The Lord can save this individual soul. The Lord can help in trial. The Lord can give peace to me. The Lord has a purpose in this, that he might be glorified. And, and this is for my good. And the Lord will perfect that which concerns me, not only now, but in time to come. I trust that if we have scratched the surface, that the Lord will bless these few words to our understanding and thought tonight.